Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to the Sunridge Teaching Podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all, regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. For the summer, we are gathering indoors with a team teaching model that provides opportunities for you to stop and process some of the concepts we cover. If you're listening to the podcast, we recommend you too gather with some friends or family to discuss the introspective questions attached to the note sheets you can find at our website. And the podcast will note the appropriate breaks in the Sunday teachings for you to do that. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website, sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit and to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for the week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more fully. Well, today, our last spiritual discipline in this formed series is service. And in order to kind of get our thoughts percolating on that a little bit, we thought it would be fun to have a little quick quiz on volunteering. So are you ready? Put your thinking caps on. I'm going to ask for a little bit of audience participation. We're going to run through some quick questions on volunteering. First, who do you guys think volunteers more, men or women? Okay, I heard a resounding women. And and you are right, it's women. However, you guys, those, those percentages really are not too far off of each other. So, so no, no male bashing there. Okay, secondly, what generation volunteers the most? You can, you can look at those, um, those years. We've got traditionalists, boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z. What do you think? Call it out. Wow, I've heard Gen X and boomers. Let's check it out, Megs. Gen X. Let's hear it for my people. I just, I assure you, I barely squeak into the Gen X. I promise you. Just barely in there. All right, those are my people. What state volunteers the most? We have a Utah. It is Utah. And check out which one volunteers the lowest. I feel like if Britt were up here, he'd have some kind of a a joke for his home state of Florida. (laughs) All right, next. Are you more likely to volunteer if you live... This is the word I could never say, and it always happens to me when I'm standing up here. Rural, rural, suburban, or urban? All right, let's check it out. Turns out there's a tie between that one word and suburban, 30%. Okay, you guys, how did COVID affect volunteering? Did it increase or decrease volunteering? I heard a lot of increases. You're right. It it increased. Um, What we see is that crises, nationally, internationally, they do tend to to up the volunteering. And then next, how much is volunteering worth monetarily? Now, this is like a dollar per hour amount. If you're getting paid per hour, how much do you think you would earn? I heard 20. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Turns out that the hourly value of volunteering is estimated to be about $24 an hour. So check that out, $167 billion. Now, how about locally here at Sunridge? How many hours were volunteered last year at Sunridge before COVID hit while we were still meeting as we usually do? (laughs) 
how many hours overall? Yeah, all of us. How many do we all clock in together in the course of that year pre-COVID? <laughs> nice. 28,904 hours, you guys. That deserves an applause. Well done. That is incredible. Last year. We really do appreciate that so much. Um, and, and check that out. The monetary value is pretty high as well. And we know, of course, that that's nothing compared to the eternal value in the kingdom of God. So with the kingdom of God in mind, who volunteers more? People who say they're religious or not religious. Interestingly enough, that's actually high. People who, who say that either way. However, when you actually look at who is actually doing their religion, it turns out those that are religiously observant are two to three times more likely to volunteer and give charitably. And this is a fun fact that Britt found. On average, churches lost 50% attendance, and yet offerings only dropped 8 to 12%. And currently, half of you who are here every week with us are serving at least once a month. So we want to give you a shout out and thank you so much. I think that those of you who are doing that have figured out by now that we do actually incredibly need you in order to do anything here. And for those of you who haven't yet considered helping us, please do. We, we really, really would appreciate that so much and we, we want you so much. Okay, overall, is volunteerism and charitable giving declining or increasing in America? It's decreasing. You're right. It's steadily declined since 2004 and hit an all-time low in 2015. And, and we can all think about all the different kinds of reasons for that. So much commuting. People don't have as much discretionary time on their hands as they used to, perhaps. Okay, so that is it for our quiz today. And before I invite Britt up here, we're just going to give you a moment to chat in your discussion groups together. Or perhaps if you're online with us, whoever you're with there out there, just share about a time that you volunteered in a way that you really enjoyed. Get together and talk about that because I know that 100% of us here have volunteered at one point in our time. So, so talk about a time that it was particularly enjoyable to you. All right, hey everybody. Didn't mean to shock you there. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, what a great start. A lot of surprising things about volunteering and serving uh, in our church and in our community. And again, just a huge shout out to all of you who uh, have rolled up your sleeves and linked arms with us and are serving in some capacity here at Sunridge. Remember, uh, these practices are not about the practices per se. They are about how we are pursuing finding and following Jesus. And if you recall, like the very first message that we did as part of this series formed, we talked about being with Jesus so that we could be like Jesus and we could do what Jesus did. And you know, so much of Jesus's teaching and his life were about adopting a servant's attitude, about caring for others, and about serving people. So today I want to take a few moments to look at one instance that really crystallizes what the practice of service could look like in the life of somebody who was doing their best to find and follow Jesus. And as you know that we've been doing this summer 
teaching template. It's been explicit in our teaching where we've kind of broken up our time in these three sections. Number one, we want to talk about the pattern of this world, and then we would break from that and then talk about how Jesus invites us to be transformed. And uh, today, I'm going to allow both of those to emerge from the narrative that we're going to look at rather than stopping. So we're going to round it all up at the end. And then Jed is going to talk about that third part, how we do this together. For the passage that I would like to look at today, I'm going to put the verses up on the screen, but if you'd like to follow along in your Bible or, you know, you version, we're going to be in John chapter 13. And if you know the context there, this is the week of Jesus' crucifixion. The scene we're looking at is known as the Last Supper. And John tells us in verse 2 of John 13 that the evening meal was already in progress. So the meal is underway, and that's important in understanding this narrative because something is missing. See, there, there is something missing from the normal way people in the first century did their meal. And as we've said often here, context is so important to understanding what the Bible is saying, what is going on. So when you think about your meals, what are your traditions? What traditions come to your mind when you think about your dinner habits? Like you individually. Like how do you eat? Do you, how many of you are like, you eat one thing at a time when you eat? That's me. So, so most of you mix it all together. And I'm not just talking about your mashed potatoes and your gravy and your turkey on Thanksgiving Day. I don't even like my stuff to touch. And one of my good buddies said, oh, you know, you eat like a clock. You just like start here and you go all the way around. What do you eat first? How many of you eat your vegetables first? Okay, these are my people. I eat my vegetables first. How many of you like when you're eating steak or meat, you cut it up all at once and then eat it? Let me do that. How many of you like cut a piece off at a time and eat it? Okay. You're not my people. (laughs) I like to get it all ready and then go for it, you know. Uh, So what about your family traditions? They might be different than your individual traditions. I know that uh, when I started dating Cindy, uh, one of the precious traditions to me was their family prayer. My family I mean, we didn't go to church growing up, so we didn't have mealtime prayers, but her dad had this prayer that he prayed every time we ate. And I wish I could remember all of it. In fact, I need to find one of Cindy's sisters or something. Maybe it's written down somewhere in the Dutch Reform, how to pray for your family's meal. But uh, he would always end it, and wilt thou keep thy watching eye. That's, That's how you prayed back then. Wilt thou keep thy watching eye over us at all times and forgive us of our many sins for thy name's sake? Amen. That's how it ended. That was a tradition. You could count on it when we would eat together. And in our family, we hold hands when we pray. Do you guys hold hands at dinner? No one? How how many of you hold hands? How about we just hold hands right now? No, just kidding. How many of you turn off the TV for dinner? Unless there's sports on, right? That's like a, you get a special rendition or something out of that. At least turn the volume off, right? Um, How about the way your food is passed and presented? I bet there's a way that you do it. 
And some, you know, Cindy kind of directs these things in our house, like how that gets all laid out. And sometimes I'll put the meat in the wrong place or whatever. And she says, no, no, put it over here. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> See, we have ways of doing things, particularly when it comes to meals. And um, that if we changed them, they're so ingrained in us, it would, you'd like, you notice it. We're doing the meal different. In fact, I think I've told the church before, one of my son-in-laws grew up with no traditions at all in his family. And like when our family would get together, sometimes you would say, okay, so what's the tradition for this? It's like, it's like a cynical remark. We have these traditions. And, you know, those kind of traditions are embedded in the first century, in this story in particular. Then unless you're aware, you don't really, you don't really f- fully grasp what is happening, and you'll miss a big part of the story. As John's already told us, a meal has started. And in verse 4, Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. So he's clothing himself as a servant. It's like he put on a uniform with a name tag, maybe, maybe with a name sewn in to his shirt. Why is he doing this? What's about to happen? And many of you know that this is what has become known as the foot washing passage, right? You're probably very familiar with it. And you, you may know that Jesus watch, washes everybody's feet in the room, even Judas, and even Peter, who at first refuses to allow Jesus to do it. And then once he is done washing their feet, He's going to say something. And what he says is an encouragement, an inspiration, and a rebuke all in one. And it begins with a question that's more than a question. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he asked, do you understand what I have done for you? So, How would you answer that question? From our perspective, 21st century, Temecula Valley, what do we see Jesus has done there? And you know, this is, again, one of those times where like someone asks you a question, but it's not really a question. It's not just a question. This wasn't just something that Jesus was asking about or something that he did. He has a purpose in this. There's something to learn. And here's the thing that doesn't come out of the story unless you know the context. Every person at that table knew that something was supposed to happen before the meal. It was both a necessity and a tradition. I mean, you can, I mean, there's a reason why feet needed to be washed because they didn't have shoes like us and they walked in a dusty, dirty land. And many times the way they would eat, your, someone's feet would be in proximity, to, in your face almost. So it's a necessity that feet get washed, but that necessity turned it into a tradition. So like how many of you, confession time, how many, how many of you wash your hands before you eat? How many of you don't? Never going to go to a potluck with you. Washing our hands is both a necessity, and for most of it, 
most of us, it's a tradition. I, you know, like I, I hear my kids tell their kids all the time, wash your hands. Did you wash your hands? It's just, just like ingrained in us. In the first century, you would wash your own hands, but a servant would wash your feet. And evidently, in this meal, there is no servant. So picture you're one of the disciples. You're going to eat this meal, so you wash your own hands. And then you're wondering, who's going to wash our feet? Where's the servant? This is something that's supposed to be happening. There's a tradition that is part of our meal practice, and it's not happening. If you can transport yourself there, would it enter your mind that maybe you could take care of that? Maybe, maybe not. I like to think of myself as super spiritual and being the person that would identify that. But most likely, all of us, if, that, if we were part of that first century, we would notice that it did not happen because it's always done. But if you were one of the 12, you wouldn't do it. You would start the meal then with kind of an uncomfortable feeling, like something's off. You'd be thinking to yourself, our feet are dirty. We're going to eat with dirty feet. This is really weird. Someone should do something. They should have planned for this. I'm going to complain to the management. I'm going to rip them on Yelp and give them a bad review. Yep, the food was good. The company was amazing, but dirty feet. And if you had Instagram then, you would probably take a picture of your dirty feet and and say, this place lets you eat with dirty feet. In that context, Jesus gets up and he does it. So if you're one of the disciples, what would be going through your mind? You see, when it comes to serving others, there are a lot of obstacles. That is the pattern of this world. This is like... The way the world is kind of creates obstacles for us to engage in this kind of a practice where we are servants. We think we're, we're above it. It's not my thing. I don't have time. It's someone else's job. I'm not skilled at that. It's not my problem. It's not my circus, it's not my monkeys. Or honestly, I mean, if, if we're being honest with one another, and we are, right? Um, it could be so ingrained in, in us. We could be so accustomed to seeing things and not doing anything that we, w- we would not even think of like, maybe I should do something. So we would go ahead with our plans, the event or the thing, like in the back of our mind, seeing that something should be done, and we're uncomfortable that it's not, but we'll continue in that discomfort rather than do something. So we can only speculate, but what do you think was the obstacle or the issue for the disciples? I think their mindset had to be something like when you're at Starbucks and you finish your coffee, you're sitting outside, and you go to throw it in the trash can, and you know when that trash can's like totally full, 
and you have a decision moment then. Do you dare like shove your hand in there and touch everybody else's stuff and kind of push it down to get your cup in there? Or do you do that like engineering perfect balance so that you leave your cup without touching anything? We have lots of options, but the one thing we won't do is pull the bag out, tie it off and go in and say, hey, your trash was full, so I did it. That would be really weird, right? Jesus says in verse 13 to his disciples, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that, that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. And remember from our first message that Jesus is their rabbi, and they're following him as part of a rigorous tradition of those who chose to be rabbis to connect to this rabbi and follow him, to be with them, to do what they did, and to become like them. And in verse 15, Jesus says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And we often say there's no greater example of what it means to be a Christian than our Lord Jesus. And here, he explicitly says, this is an example. You know, sometimes we derive examples, right? From the narrative or from something more subtle, a story in the Bible. But Jesus just lays it out. This is the serving academy. This is serving school. And he says it like this. Did you, just see, did you see what I just did? You should do it. Not have the feels about something. Not think about it. Something needed to be done. And here's what you should do about it. You know, my high school pastor, Jim White, he's in his late 80s now which don't do any kind of math involving me. He had a phrase that he said over and over again, and it's really stuck with me throughout my whole life. And it's this, that when you see a need, you should consider that God is calling you to fill it. In fact, I texted him this morning. He's in his late 80s. He still texts. I I put my name in there in case he's erased me from his phone as one of his former students. Um, And I just told him I'd be quoting him today. See, Jesus says there's blessing in service. Verse 16, "Very, very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed or happy if you do them. This week in the email that I know that all of you read, I talked about the secret to happiness. Jesus says this is the secret. And notice that he distinguishes between knowing about service and doing service. He says we are happy if we do service. And later in the same chapter, Jesus uses the same language to say we should love each other as he loved us. And he said, you will be known as those who follow me by doing this. Service then is to emulate Jesus and to do what he did. It's how we love one another. It's what Jesus did. And the value behind it is the identifying mark 
of truly being one of his followers. And by the way, this is not limited to washing feet. This whole idea is echoed by Peter. And one of the things that we say a lot here at Sunridge is how you see in the letters of the New Testament the echoes of Jesus' teaching. The, The letters of the New Testament are the first century church working out the teachings of Jesus in their day and time. And Peter says in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as a faithful steward of God's grace in its various forms. There's a whole story behind that verse that we won't unpack today, but the Bible teaches, if you want to read Romans chapter 12, that's a good place to start. I mean, 1 Corinthians 12, you, you will see that God gifts people. He gives us spiritual gifts, but he gives us in many ways. He gives us skills and potential and experiences and education. And Peter says, take those things and use them to serve each other. The church is like a garden where the kingdom of God reigns in an unrestrained and uncontaminated way, or it should be. So service is to use what God has given you to serve others. It's as simple as that. That's what it means to be like Jesus. And a question we should all ask ourselves is, how has God gifted me? The pattern of the world that is in the way is this. The pattern of the world is is to too quickly assume that the needs we see are someone else's responsibility. While you're writing that down, I just want to note, sometimes they are. Truly, right? But why does Jesus give us this story in this context? That's what we have to wrestle with. So if something is not your thing, what is your thing? Because every one of us needs to have a thing, right? That is the example of Jesus. And by the way, can I just have a pastor moment with you? Talking about it is not serving. Filing a complaint is not serving. Posting about it is not serving. Even offering a suggestion is not serving. Words are not serving. So how does Jesus invite us to be transformed? The transformation Jesus invites us into is to follow his example of serving others. Isn't that what this story was just about? It is the practice of serving. The practice of serving is to gird up our robes and grab a towel with a bowl of water, or in today's vernacular, to roll up our sleeves and do something that needs doing. And it's not too basic for any Christian to contemplate. None of us are beyond that. Remember, these disciples have been in Jesus' training program for three years, and he's still coming back to fundamental things like this. And so the question for us is, what, what if we allow Jesus to transform us in this way? What if we looked at everything that we had as a gift from God with the potential to serve others? What if that were our worldview? 
whether it is time or money or knowledge or experience or my stuff or my house or my family. All the, I mean, you could just go down the list of things that you know are a gift from God to you. How can that be used to serve others in the church and in the world? You see, it just comes down to someone needs help, and I help. Even if sometimes it's really someone else's job. Even if it might seem beneath me. Even if it means washing some dirty feet. Because that's what Jesus did. That's the practice of service. Let's spend a few moments here. Number one question for one minute. Whether you're in our... uh, on our campus here today, or you're watching online with your family or with our chat online, ask yourself this question. What are the personal obstacles you have to serving as Jesus did? Let's think about that on our own for one minute. Okay, let's go on to talk in our group about uh, this next question. How would it transform you if you began considering when you saw a need that it could be God revealing an opportunity to serve. Just talk about that. Then Jed will come up. Thank you. All right, you guys, come back and be with me for just a little bit. Hey, a couple of things, or actually one thing in particular before we continue this morning. We mentioned earlier that we are so, so grateful for the many of you who call Sunridge Community Church your home and your family and make it possible for us to do what we're doing and serve all over this place. And our worship and tech team who pour out every single week for you wanted to make sure that I made special mention of someone who is near and dear to our hearts, who is actually transitioning and this will be his last Sunday. He hates this. Andrew Dykehouse, would you please stand up for a little bit? Come on. We love you, Drew. We have a lot of people that make it possible that you don't get to see. And Andrew grew up in this church and then came back several years ago to serve on this team. And we're so, so grateful for him. And he hates the public attention, so we figured we would do that. You know, as I was thinking about this topic, I thought back to a time when I was working at Friends Church in Yorbalind. And I pitched this wild idea to my boss, who was our high school pastor at the time. And I said, hey, Joe, how crazy would it be? If over spring break, we decided to do something with our middle school and high school students, and we had them devote the entirety of their spring break to serving. And it was a wild idea, but our team decided to hop on it. And so we ended up calling this trip the Great Co-Mission. We had our middle school and high school students partner with us, and 120 kids signed up. And we just told them that they were going to be serving, but they had no idea what this would entail. Because in the months preceding, I'd called up organization after organization, nonprofit after nonprofit, and ended up lining up 40 different nonprofits for our students to serve at all over Orange County. I mean, we ran the whole gamut of what these kids would be doing. We were in convalescent homes, we were serving veterans, we were helping moms who were coming out of abusive situations, people transitioning out of homelessness, people who were homeless. We renovated or helped renovate a school for kids who were blind adults with special needs, kids with special needs. I mean, we just, it was crazy. And these kids, we put them in teams 
uh, with 12 to 15 of them and two adult leaders. And from 8 a.m. in the morning, from Monday through Thursday till 5 p.m. that week, they just went from place to place to place and served at these spots. And I'll tell you, it was one of the coolest things to see our middle school and high school students just so, so exhausted, then come back at the end of that long day, and then we'd worship together, and we had someone come and speak every single night. And what a gift to know that our teenagers were going out, and as Britt talked about, seeing needs, and then going out to meet them. And so our staff here for the last several weeks, we've been calling nonprofit after nonprofit, and we're getting, I'm just kidding, we're not doing that. <laughs> can, can you imagine if, if you as adults gave up work for an entire week and we just did, that might be fun. Maybe that's something that we consider doing someday. Well, it really is wild to think about how we go about and serve. And before we get to that, I just wanted to take a moment to travel back through our series to, to what brought us to this point. Because when we were planning this formed series and looking at spiritual disciplines, we knew that every single one was going to build upon the previous week. And so Brett mentioned in week one, which was on the back end of our pre-sermon retreat, we talked about finding and following Jesus together. We say here that we assume ourselves in the mission of our church, which is to help people find and follow Jesus. And that means that we're not just trying to help you find and follow Jesus. When we're here and we serve together in all that we do, whether you're on staff or you're coming for the first time, collectively we are helping one another find and follow Jesus over and over and over again. Britt taught us about how Jesus, as our rabbi, we would apprentice and learn under him to become like him, to do as he did. In our second week, our spiritual discipline was simplicity. And we focused on the singularity of focus. We, we talked through Matthew 6, which says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. And so not just following after him, but adopting his heart and his perspective for this world around us. And that would then propel us into all the other spiritual disciplines. So the next week, we talked about solitude. Right when things were super crazy, we saw Jesus stepping outside to be alone with the Father and have his heart transformed. And so we challenged one another to get away from some of the noise and to listen for the voice and the words of God. And in the following week, we talked about submission. And not just submission in a way that perhaps we'd heard it before, where it's doing things for someone else that you don't want to do, but we pulled apart the word and said, sub mission and talked about that prefix sub about being under and then mission, the mission of God to be sent as the Father sent Jesus, as the Spirit would send us. And the next week, we talked about meditation, to chew on the words of God. Remember, happy cows chew their cud. And so we talked about looking at Scripture and how our mind would be filled with many other things. But if we chose to concentrate on the Word and the words of God, that it would be transformative for us. And the next week, we talked about fasting. Right, Man does not live on bread alone, but of every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we talked about how there is a connection between the spiritual and the physical. And so temporarily abstaining from physical food, which we have so much dependence on, could have us turn towards God more fully. And then in the week after, we talked about confession. Right, If we're turning to God, we would understand there are things in each and every single one of us. There's sin that separates us from what God desires for us in this abundant life. And those are things that we confess to him 
And like a loving parent, instead of shaming us, it'd be like the door cracked open and God wanting to come and join us. And that sense of being overwhelmed by whatever it is that you and I are turning to instead of to him. And then last week, we talked about prayer. Coming before God and sharing the things that we are both concerned about, the stuff that we are working on together. And if you would consume us and change us, if you would burn in us, then it would, again, cause us to be different and to want to change. And that is where we are today when it comes to service. You see, whether it's those high school and middle school students or you and I here today, you and I can talk about volunteering. You and I can talk about serving and going about and doing something. But we've said it from the very beginning. This series and all that we do here at Sunridge Community Church and life in and of itself is about transformation. Transformation. To find and follow Jesus assumes that you and I are going to have to change. And so to see needs and to meet them isn't just to go about and to do things, but for something to be happening internally that would provoke us or cause us or to compel us to want to do something that at a certain point in our life, we may not have wanted to do that. And so in connection to last week, here's your fill in the blank. You and I can pray for a transformation of heart. And that transformation of heart, which we'll see very soon, is a denial of self while we start serving. In other words, they happen simultaneously. Right? So for any of us that wanted to make a change physically, and maybe we went to the gym membership or decided that we were going to change our food, there was this yes thought of creating a plan. But as we went along and submitted to that over and over and over in the doing of that, something inside of us was changing. In that scene in John chapter 13, which Britt just shared about, it's not as though suddenly Jesus decides, I'm going to serve these guys, right? Britt talked about how they had seen him do this over and over and over. And so even though the disciples were probably incredibly shocked that he decided at this time, on the eve of his crucifixion, that he would do the thing that would be impossible for them to think that he would do, which is this dirty, humiliating piece, it really shouldn't have been too shocking because he didn't just do it. He talked about it and invited them to follow in this manner. And on the, the week that leads up to this event, we see in John chapter 12, Jesus saying something to these Greek peoples, these outsiders who have sought him out with his disciples nearby. And Jesus says this to them, very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And those who love their life lose it. And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. See, Jesus is sharing these words. And he's talked about how he needs to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And yet again, it's still impossible for the disciples to fathom that he's actually going to go about and do that thing. And he used this imagery, this agricultural imagery of a seed going into the earth and needing to die in order to produce fruit. And when the seed goes into the ground, the seed doesn't literally die, but the picture of a seed going into the ground is it's covered and it's hidden and something happens in that process of germination where eventually, in due time, 
it transforms into this tree that produces fruit. And when you and I think about serving others or responding to God, it's not just about doing things, but having a heart that, as Jesus has said, starts changing to this denial of self. You see, for most of us, we think about our days and how we want our days to go and be, but when it comes to finding and following Jesus, as our hearts transform and become more like His, our desires transform to His desires, we see that putting ourselves low or choosing His way and what He's called us to does ultimately produce that blessedness, that happiness that Britt talked about. But it's in choosing over and over and over again. And so when we think about John chronicling Jesus and Jesus going to these places, you can see that in the next several chapters, when Jesus is with his disciples, that imagery of service, meaning to lay one's life down, right? To love other people, to lay one's life down. And what Jesus calls them to, this new commandment to love one another, over and over, he has already set himself up by talking about this denial of self. Of course, is difficult for you and me. So in this section, we talk about how we're going to do this stuff together. How are our hearts going to transform? What are we actually going to do? How are we going to try and see and test and approve together? Well, every week we've given you a daily meditation. So for this week, we can meditate on just those few verses that we've read here. John chapter 12, verses 24 through 26. And you can do that every day to start out your day. Start considering this denial of self as we are transformed to follow Christ and become like him. But I'd encourage you at least one day this week, why don't you just keep reading through that passage where Jesus goes to wash his disciples' feet. And if you want to go even further, I'd encourage you, read all the way through this final scene with Jesus and disciples in John chapter 17. Write that down. If you want to read all the way to John chapter 17, you will see this imagery of love and service and self-denial and true life over and over and over again. So go ahead and do that. And of course, if you want to keep going, just read your whole Bible this week. That'd be great. So we have these practices that we encourage you guys to do apart from that daily meditation. You can choose any of the following. The first one is this. Begin the day with this prayer. Lord Jesus, as it would please you, bring someone today who I can serve. Right, so you start this day with this prayer, anticipating that, of course, there are going to be people in front of you, not just needs, but people. And as you pray that in the morning, perhaps you will then go out and take the opportunity to serve. The second thing that you can attempt to do this week is to look to serve in a small way or with something that you will seek nor get any credit for. You know, our middle school and high school students, when they did that big serve trip, they got a lot of credit for those things they did, and rightly so. I mean, goodness gracious, eight hours a day for several days at a time. And yet we know that there's something about Jesus inviting us to do things that no one else will ever see, stuff that we can't get credit for, right? There's a hiddenness that we are invited to, and our Heavenly Father sees us in that act. And there's something transformative about doing things that no one else will see. And so if you choose this way to practice service, find something that no one's going to get to give you any credit for. 
And there's some options there listed off in your note sheet about some fun things that you can do, whether it's in your home or in the workplace or in the Costco parking lot or a park or something. The next thing, and Lise and Britt have both alluded to this, you can choose to join your church family and serve here at Sunridge. And again, we cannot tell you enough how it would not be possible for us to be this church if it weren't for the many of you who have rolled up your sleeves and have committed to serving here in some capacity. And so on that sheet there, there are emails of almost all of our staff members, and you can email us if there is an area that you're interested in. You can just email info at summerschurch.org if you're not entirely sure who to connect with, or you can seek me out and we can have coffee. And if by the end of that coffee, you're not serving somewhere, I'd be surprised because that's generally how that works. So uh, come hang out with me and we can find some fun place for you to serve. And then this final one, there's a way to serve with a hospitality. And so we encourage you, perhaps, if you'd like to serve someone, if God has put someone on your heart that maybe you don't spend much time with, or it's been a long time, or you'd like to get to know, and there's a way that you can serve them, open up your home or your space and invite them in and then seek over the the course of sharing a meal or a beverage to, to learn from them and to hear and to listen and to love. And then finally, like every week, if none of those are appealing to you, you can design your own practice of service and enjoy that because there have to be tons of great ways for you to go about doing that. Okay, so in this section, we are going to debrief this previous week of prayer. And if you didn't join us the week before, that's okay. You can still talk about prayer and what that's like. And so we'll just take three minutes to consider how you practiced prayer. Oh, it should say prayer, not confession. Apparently, uh, the will of God is that you pray and confess more because uh, there might be something there. So let's talk about prayer. It says confession. That's my fault. I made these slides and I messed it up. So you can't blame anyone but me. So practice prayer and then what you learn from your practice of prayer that you can incorporate in the future. So again, three minutes. All right. So we're going to go into this second section here where we talk about service, this response to the one who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So let's look at this next set of questions here. What are you looking forward to about practicing service? And what do you think is going to be challenging about service? So you've got three minutes, and then our worship team will lead us in a time of responding through song. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question or you'd like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org. It's super easy to navigate. We hope you'll listen in again next week. And in the meantime, wherever you go, be the salt and light of the world.